This podcast contains explicit content. Hardly Focused presents The Ack and Jack Show. Ack. In the Navy. Jack. My mother's my sister. You are listening to The Ack and Jack Show. The balance beam. Welcome to the Ack and Jack Show. Chris Eckiardi, Jack Gill. You can get us at hardlyfocused.com and ackandjack.com. ACCandjack.com. Uh, Jack, how come your mom lets you have two URLs? AIDS. Yeah, that would explain it. <laughs> uh, Ack, uh, good to see you. How are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm good. I saw the new Ant-Man film today. Yeah? How was it? It was quite cromulent, if I may And that's, that's good, right? Uh, cromulent means adequate. Okay. And don't you know, cromulent was a word that was invented on The Simpsons and made it into the dictionary. I actually did not know that. Yes, it's a, it's actually a word alongside embiggens in both embiggens and cromule come from the same scene on The Simpsons. Huh. Um, That's fascinating. It's between Mrs. Krabappel and uh, Miss Hoover. They're arguing over the word embiggens, and uh, one of them says that they don't like the word embiggens. The other one responds, uh, why? It's a perfectly cromulent word. <laughs> wow. Language is fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating I, that a cartoon could invent them two words and have them like accepted as like lexicon, American lexicon. Yeah, that's I mean, that's just language. Language evolves so rapidly. I, I feel it more and more as I get older and I'll start seeing like new Internet slang and I'll just go, I don't know what that means. I don't, there was a time where I used to feel very confident that I knew all the hippest internet slang. And nowadays, someone will start saying something. I'll just go, what the hell are you talking about? It's like when I see people on Reddit describe things as mid. Yeah, that's yeah. a good example. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't I mean, know. I what assume mid- like mid-tier, like not great, probably, probably cromulent in <laughs> general ranking. Can you think of a word that was invented in some, I guess, piece of media that later became uh, like just a regularly used word, like something that made its way into the dictionary? Like not not recently. I know there's a famous list of like a huge list of list of common words that uh, Shakespeare invented. That guy's books were just like 50 percent gibberish at the time. And then uh, so many words that he used just became commonly acknowledged and accepted words now did you ever understand shakespeare when you had to go over it back in high school uh, i mean more like a little bit 50 50 see i kind of uh, i took it upon myself to and ultimately i think i got like extra credit on a quiz for this and it was like sophomore year of high school but i took it upon myself to like transcribe Romeo and Juliet into English. Mm-hmm. And people kept telling me someone already did that. And it's called West side story. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, but I want to do it. Cause I want to understand 
what this maroon was trying to articulate because nothing that he says makes any sense. Yeah. Wherefore actually, art thou doth window breaks my ass. <laughs> Translated. <laughs> Bitch, where are you? Yeah, I actually did a, a full parody on, of my own in, in high school of, of Macbeth called uh, A Tale Told by an Idiot. Um, <laughs> one of the lines actually in the uh, play, but I basically just took that and extrapolated it outwards, and it's a full... I'm sure I could find it somewhere and dig it up, but it's just a full, like, 30 pages tops, Sick. but just, like, covers all of the major plot points of Macbeth. Um, the, the main thing I remember is um, Macduff, who was... Am I, am I remembering the right name? That sounds um, familiar. Uh, the guy who was able to defeat Macbeth because they said none born of woman and he was born of a C-section. In in my version, his mother attempted to have an abortion, but the fetus punched out the doctor and ran away from the uh, facility. <laughs> <laughs> This is like the Benny Hill theme is playing as <laughs> the fetus is running away. <laughs> it's uh, like an alien after the, the chest burster. Yes, exactly. And, and it scurries away <laughs> off the table. Uh, yeah, I uh, first I think McDuff sounds right, but don't quote me on that because uh, let's just put Mick in front of everything. Yeah. And, and also I hated and I genuinely hated Macbeth. And junior year of high school, I, for some reason, was put in the uh, the English class full of idiots. <laughs> all of the seniors who had to retake, uh, like, English 1 because they were all stupid. And uh, I, I, I don't know why I was in that, that class because I knew I could do so much better. So much so that the, the senior year, I ended up taking, like, I think it was, like, English 3. It was, it was mm-hmm. uh, like, one step below honors and it actually kicked my ass but i'm happy i took it but being in stupid english i remember we went over Macbeth, but it was uh, pretty much Macbeth for dummies and i genuinely hated the story and we all had to do i think like a you know a book report on Macbeth, Mm -hmm. and i just went on a rant about i didn't i didn't write anything about what i learned from Macbeth. i didn't write anything about like it was more an editorial, like a review, like a my, my <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> yes, Mr. Sherman, everything stinks. <laughs> uh, I just didn't like it, and I just went on tangents about how much I disliked it. I talked about how, uh, in the in the film, and and don't quote me on this. But I believe in the film, because Roman Polanski, I believe, was the director. And uh, he was right. Yeah. And he was married to Sharon Tate, who, you know, was then famously part of the whole Manson thing in the 60s. So uh, there's a little girl in the film who is supposed to be like she, she dies in the film and they actually show like her bloodied corpse and everything. And then. I guess now call it an urban legend, call it what you will. But Polanski then goes to commend the little girl for the great job that she did uh, before the man used up all of his English (laughs) during his acceptance speech for winning some award. He's he's, I use up all of my English. 
So he asks the little girl what her name is, and she's covered in blood, and you know she's all made up to look like a dead body, and she says with a big smile on her face, My name is Sharon! <laughs> and that sent Polanski into the corner, into the, into the fetal position. Oh, no. So I, I called that out in my written six-page diatribe about how much I hated Macbeth. <laughs> and I think ultimately I got a C on the on the assignment, which was a perfectly cromulent grade. Yeah, that's what the C stands for. Cromulent. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And I was I was the epitome of C student back in high school. Now, which was it senior year and Hamlet for which you um, produced a rather impressive all Sega Genesis version Yes, of the of the story. Yes, it was, it was, and it's still up there on YouTube. Nice, and I will send you the link for it. It was uh the the title of the film was. You know, feel free to look it up. Whoever's listening, feel free to look it up. It was called The Hamlet Zone, <laughs> and uh, I think I can't remember, but in like the tight the like the opening titles. And I used a lot of licensed music in that, by the way. So <laughs> the the film begins with Nutshell by Alice in Chains. And I can't remember if like in the title screen, I, I called it Hamlet, the Hamlet Zone or just like William Shakespeare's Hamlet. But then the next title, the next screen just says starring Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Watch out. You're going to crash. And I recall having, you know, showing it in, in English class. This was senior year. And there was uh, one gentleman in our, in our class uh, who uh, let's call him Graham because that's his name. <laughs> and he was the only one who liked what I did. <laughs> uh, I liked it. I mean, I wasn't in your class, but you, you know, I, you know, I was very impressed with the with the uh, just the the end result was more polished than you might expect for something like this. Motherfucker, you liked it. You were in it. Oh, yeah, I know I was in it. That was my favorite part of it. <laughs> you were the Tyrannosaur. Because <laughs> it was narrated by Dr. Grant and the Tyrannosaur from the Jurassic Park game. <laughs> That's right. I was also Knuckles, right? Who was uh, late Laersha or something. Yeah, that's from right. Yeah. Oh, no, it was narrated by Alex Kidd, who's the original Sega mascot, and then the Tyrannosaur from Jurassic Park. Yeah. And you just repeated everything Alex Kidd said. <laughs> yep. And then um, <laughs> Stefan just was in it, too, and Stefan just didn't give a shit, and he just recorded all of his lines like this. Oh, no, don't do it. Oh, God. Please <laughs> think of the children. Yeah, it's just like Stefan really put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's one line that... Uh, Actually, it was the only line that got the the viewing audience. I remember to laugh because, of course, like I'm showing it to the you know a class of thirty people, and I'm shitting my pants, nervous. Mm-hmm. By the way, I got a B on it because in in nice. old old Liza, our teacher says, "I don't know what this is, but you put a lot of effort into it." <laughs> so uh, the only the only part that got you know elicited hearty laughter from people was. Uh, Kate was playing uh, the the mother like I I forget who Kate was playing but she's like uh, she's like I don't I don't like how you've been acting you stay out of the green hill zone <laughs> people are like it's comma it's the first level from the game I get that reference mm-hmm. so um, 
Uh, oh, and then I threw a 28 Days Later reference at the end, which yes, which was also very relevant for the time. So, uh, yes, uh, B plus or a B. I don't I know. Guess. I remember it, it was definitely not an A. It was not good enough to get an A. <laughs> but I had fun making that. Uh, so this is the death of Sonic the Hedgehog. Truth be told, I never did like the twat. <laughs> hey, guess what? Sonic's dead. <laughs> I quote that to myself regularly, and I <laughs> like what? <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. Is it literally called the death of Sonic the Hedgehog? I yeah, I don't remember. This is old. This is ancient. This uh, was my ringtone for a while. Whenever my boss from the radio station would call. Mm-hmm. It was sort of my warning. Don't answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so I saw Ant-Man today. Ant-Man and the Wasp in Quantumania. Yeah. And uh, I, I liked it. I liked it. But here, uh, I've uh, spoiler-free review. By the way, I will not spoil anything about uh, this film because it literally just came out. But here are my two uh, takeaways, gripes, whatever you want to call. So first, uh, Modoc is in it, who now I'm not a big comic book reader, but I understand Modoc is a, a fan favorite. Who is it the Patton Oswalt version from the sitcom series? No, it is not. And I don't I don't. To explain who Modoc is in Quantumania would would be a big spoiler, so I'm not going to gotcha. uh, I'm not going to say who he is. But people very excited to see a live action version of Modoc, and boy, did they miss that landing! Oh boy, ugly. It just didn't register. It Jeez. just it, the actor's face just. It's like. Now, if they're not showing his face, then it looks fine when he's got like the metal like mask on, mm-hmm. then he looks great. But then the second that mask comes off and you see the face, it's like someone went into MS Paint and they stretched out the image like from a couple of angles. It looks OK, but yeah, I mean, I guess to be fair, based on what I know of Modoc, and again, I've never seen him outside of cartoons and uh, the original comic version, I can't really picture how you would do a good job turning that into a realistic human being. Right. Because he's a very cartoonish figure. Yeah, it's... There are some things that look very good in animation, you know, and and in drawings that just really, like you said, it just, it just doesn't translate when you're trying to make a live action Right thing out of it. it's kind of or like, you have to compromise and make it look a little bit more realistic. It's kind of like you know taking Dragon Ball and turning that into a live action property. Yeah, it just and when you're trying to have someone playing Bulma, like a, like a like a living human playing Bulma, like it's one thing to cosplay, but then when you're actually trying to make a live action film out of it, now granted it's Emmy Rossum, you can't go wrong with Emmy Rossum, but at the <laughs> same time. It, like her her version of Bulma is not she's not Bulma and this wasn't Modoc. it was just this just freakish looking abomination of a floating head yeah so oof so that was my first gripe and then my other gripe is uh so we're, we're obviously now I think technically this is phase five of the the MCU 
The Marvel Cinematic really? Universe. Yeah, I guess Quantumania is the first film of Phase 5. Really? I didn't realize Phase 4 had ended. What was the finale for that one? Oh, God. What was the last film that came out in that? Was it Thor? I can't remember is what the Doctor Strange one. Was, was that the last one? I think it was Thor. Love and Thunder. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, uh, it was one of those. So everything that has happened since Thanos, since Avengers Endgame, you've hit your peak. You've hit the top right. of Everest. You can't, like, where do you go from there? Yeah, I, I mean, I honestly kind of feel bad. Like, it, they, it's one of those situations where, from a purely artistic standpoint, they did it, right? They completed a massive, like, 30-movie-long franchise, interconnected, pretty much every single one of them considered a hit. Like, that's wild. Now wrap it up and have that be the finale and, and go home. But from a studio perspective, obviously you're not going to do that, right? Because you're thinking, well, we're now at our peak. Now is the time where we can get more people to come buy tickets and come see our movies. So you're kind of getting that at odds with each other, the good storytelling versus the we need to crank out more movies so we can make more money off of this franchise. And there's obviously decades upon decades of comic books that you can reference and, right. and things that people have been uh, clamoring for to see on the on the big screen translated from comic into film. I'm, uh, you know, for me, I'm excited to see uh, Secret Wars because Secret, okay. Secret Wars is going to be one of the Avengers films because they, they announced, you know, all of like phase five, I think like phase six too. like we're going over the next three years. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the there's two Avengers films that are coming out. And one of them is Secret Wars, which at the time was uh, the Avengers, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four. This, this would have been unheard of in, in uh, 2012. Right. Because Mar uh, the Marvel Studios didn't, for the film rights, didn't own any of those properties beyond the Avengers. Right. But now they own everything. So now they can finally do Secret Wars. And I've, I've been wanting this for, for well over a decade. And we're finally getting it. But I'm nervous because I feel like they've, they've just run out of steam since... Yeah. Avengers Endgame. Now, the the shows, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was very good. Okay. WandaVision was excellent. Okay. Loki, this is what, now I haven't seen all the series, but Loki, this is where I really kind of fell off here because I watched all of Loki, but it felt like a chore. Okay. And this is what I don't like is that in order to understand what's going on in the new Ant-Man and Quantumania, you would have had to have watched all of season one of Loki. Right. Yeah, exactly. And to understand what was going on in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, you had to watch all of WandaVision. Right. And those are what, like eight to ten episodes, an hour long each? Yeah, on one particular streaming service that you have to pay for. Correct. It, and yeah, I mean, that's sort of my perspective here. Now, we were talking about this before the show started. I have seen like the fewest Marvel movies of any human being alive. Right. My wife and I, we've seen the Iron Man's and the guardians of the galaxies. I've 
Never seen any of the Captain Americas, no Thors, no Avengers movies, none of the spinoffs, none of the TV series, none of it. And I'll be honest, the only one of those movies that I really enjoyed was the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which I knew I would because seeing the trailer for it, I went, oh, this is not a superhero movie and I'm going to like that. And then in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, they fucking made it a superhero movie and I was bored <laughs> throughout the whole thing again. So, um, but like, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, so say Ant-Man Quantumania was phenomenal and you told me, Ack, you have got to see this movie. It is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. You need to watch it. Okay, well, the prep work for me to get ready to watch that would literally take months of doing nothing but watching Marvel content to get up to a point where I can appreciate and understand Ant-Man Quantumania. And with each new phase, that problem just gets worse. You're just getting more and more of a ridiculous prerequisite required before every new viewing if you want to have the slightest idea what's going on. It's tough. It's it's a chore. It's yeah. It's almost like running I, a marathon. It's like preparing for a marathon. Yeah. And like I part of me does kind of understand the appeal. And then another part of me is just like, oh, God, fuck that. Like <laughs> now when it comes to just comic properties, I was always slightly more into DC than Marvel. Sure. Not not by much. I, like I wasn't super into it, but I at least watched like mostly because of the cartoons. I loved Batman, the animated series. Superman the Animated Series and the Justice League series back on Cartoon Network. I enjoyed those as a kid. So I enjoy I was always more familiar with the DC franchises than Marvel ones. Mm -hmm. With the recent announcements when what is it, James Gunn yes. just announced the next three years worth of DC movies. I'm watching this Twitter video, this like two minute video as he explains every movie that they've got planned to come up. And I'm just thinking, this sounds awful. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Why are you prepping me? Here are all of the things you're going to have to do to follow this story over the next several years. Why? Like, that just isn't something I have any interest in doing. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. The uh, trailer for The Flash, which is finally coming out. Mm -hmm. That looks cool. Like, I hate what's-his-face Ezra Miller. I'm sorry, what's-their-face? Yeah. Uh, that, as far as I'm concerned, that, that dude can introduce himself to a flying brick. Yeah. But the film looks cool, and it's got Michael Keaton as Batman in it. They're, they're, oh, cool. They're doing their own multiverse things, so yeah. I'll, like, I'll, I'll give that a chance. But, um, yeah, now James Gunn, obviously coming from Marvel, now he's in charge of all of DC's stuff. They're putting a lot of faith in him. I mean, I can tell you, Suicide Squad, the the Suicide Squad, the more recent one. Yeah. That was excellent. I, I Yeah, we watched the more recent Suicide Squad. That one was good. And it was very standalone. Like, you don't have to have seen anything else around it to appreciate it. Same with the new, what was this? The Batman? Was that what it was yes. called? The yep. Robert Pattinson? <laughs> Battinson. <laughs> yeah, that's and what's interesting is that the Flash has Ben Affleck as Batman in it, even though the Batman in addition was, to Michael Keaton. In addition to Michael Keaton, and then you have the Pattinson Batman, which is its own separate thing. So this is DC now 
Yeah. James Gunn's going in trying to clean up this little bit of a mess that they they DC created for itself by trying to do its own Avengers Marvel style universe. Right. But yeah, you're I mean, you're right about the amount of prep work that needs to go in to understand what's happening in all of the Marvel films, all of the yeah. phases. Uh, it's one thing because leading up to Infinity War and Endgame, it was all films. You yeah. didn't have to watch any shows. There were a couple shows here and there, but they were just spinoffs and they didn't yeah, actually contribute. You didn't need... Iron Fist contained no plot critical information to Avengers Endgame. Right. No, th- those are completely separate. Like the Defenders, yeah. it's in that universe, but the, nothing that the Defenders does with the small exception of Daredevil and... Uh, yeah, Daredevil, that's all I'm going to say. Um, nothing that they do ties into the uh, the like the films that lead up to infinity war. So that was just films and it was just what two a year and then yeah. two to three a year. But now for what we have going on here, here's the other side of my complaints. These are the gripes I have is yeah, you have to watch all the shows. Okay. Like I said, WandaVision. Great. Absolutely great. I loved WandaVision. It all leads up to Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, which was um, uh, like, it just, it was good. I liked it. It was a good movie, but it was not worth having to watch an entire series. Right. To, to, to get to this point. It just, it was very, it was whelming. Yeah. Here's the word again. Cromulent. Yeah. It was just, it was a, it didn't need the, the buildup that it had. Yeah, exactly. And sort of the same deal with Quantumania is that we didn't need the buildup in Loki to get to this. And, uh, and and then the new Captain America that's coming out, like you would have had to have watched Falcon and Winter Soldier to understand mm-hmm. why there's a new Captain America. Right. It's just not. It's so. And I think even Disney and Marvel have realized now too that hey, maybe we don't need to do these shows and, and put so many of these shows out. And they even you know that it was because of the pandemic we were we were locked that's into. True. Yeah. We couldn't go to the movies, so you know, stay home and watch your shows. But yeah, it just uh, I don't I don't think I don't think Ant Man in Quantumania was worth the, the build up from Loki, and then even still, I really feel like they're struggling to figure out what they're doing with the whole franchise going forward after yeah. Thanos. The big thing that they're really pushing now is the multiverse, right? And that's it, just like headache inducing. <laughs> Yeah, do you, do you think that's too complex for the casual like Marvel movie fan? Um probably and I also just I I feel like the uh, the concept of a multiverse is al- almost feels like a cop out sometimes. Like I'm going to I'm going to reference the bad the bad show is a good example of this, but I feel like if you're going to do a multiverse, the best way to do it is like Rick and Morty where the premise is acknowledged to sort of make everything meaningless. Sure. Like, cause Oh no, Iron Man died. Let's just pop over and get one of the 10 trillion billion identical Iron Men from one of the other timelines. Okay. We're good. Now we have, we have a new one. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I like, I just feel like, 
the concept of a multiverse is too easily used for cop-outs that if you're going to go the multiverse route, I want it to be kind of like grim and bleak and bring into it that sense of, oh, nothing matters. And I just doubt that that's the direction that Marvel is going with it. That's it's similar to what Doctor Strange says at the end of Infinity War when he's he's like, look, I've seen hundreds of different like possible endings to this and there's only one where we make it out. We all make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. That's why I want to see it's like where every multiverse is like, I mean, Star Trek did this all the time where there was yeah. like another universe, but like everyone is dead or they're yeah. in the middle of some like war that never ending war where mm-hmm. people only know, you know, living in squalor and, you know, death is just all over your shoulder at every, any given period of time. Yep. And yeah. And the multi multiverse and time travel. Those are crutches. Yeah. I, I also want to say, and again, this is coming from someone who has not seen either movie and just going purely off of the commercials. The fact that both Dr. Strange the new Ant-Man, also even, I think, one of the, the what, the newest Spider-Man one. All the trailers look like they take place in just, like, a swirling vortex of... Do uh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like, every poster, every trailer, every commercial are the characters standing in a purely CGI, green-screened background that's just, like, swirling vortex number seven. That's exactly what it is it's the camera it's it's panned out it's it's up and it's yeah. just sort of that slow left to right as the world around them is like uh manipulating inception style or yeah. exploding it's just one of those okay the first time i was like oh that looks like it'd be cool and now i'm like oh is this just every marvel movie now they just all do that they all take place in the vortex <laughs> yeah the thing about quantumania too is that it doesn't Yes, it introduces who the the I guess the new main villain of the MCU is, and mm-hmm. also introducing the multiverse and how this character, what impact this character has on the multiverse. But at the same time, nothing that actually happens in Quantumania, and again, spoil no spoilers. Uh, nothing that happens in Quantumania does anything to move the like franchise forward. It's yeah. just like it's another day in the life of Scott Lang in the Pims. Hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you guys want to go hang out in the quantum realm for a little bit? <laughs> but we did that last week. Yeah, there's just not it, it. It again, I liked it. I liked how they did it. But this is this. This was the film equivalent of uh, this meeting could have been an email. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> but that said, I mean, the. It was it, it was nice to see uh, Janet Van Dyne get a lot of screen time. Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, that's all I'll say about that. Okay, I liked I liked her casting for Ant Man and the Wasp. I feel like she wasn't in it for that long, and she got quite a bit of screen time in this one. And also, uh, Catherine Newton as uh, Cassie Lang, who's now the third actress to portray this character. <laughs> Uh, she a good job. I mean, not her delivery was kind of like very, very dry, but I think she, she did a, she held her own in that. If she becomes like the next 
aunt well, you can't call her aunt man aunt person yeah aunt woman <laughs> uh maybe she'll have a couple nieces and nephews and just be aunt <laughs> thanks for listening everyone it's been great <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah act when it uh if you if you have the disney plus and yeah you don't okay well then never mind <laughs> but uh and i love ant-man too ant-man's one of my favorite i i like paul rudd he did this show on netflix that i really liked and I'm bummed out because it's one of those shows that's never technically been canceled, but it's been like three years and they've never renewed it either. So it probably is never coming back called uh, Living With Yourself. OK. And it all stars Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd as uh, a guy who gets cloned and the cloning process is supposed to kill off the original, but they fail to properly kill the original. <laughs> So he wakes up in a shallow grave and goes home and finds a slightly better version of himself has taken over his life. And it's just like a really fun, really clever show that I enjoyed a lot. And so for that reason, I have a lot of admiration for Paul Rudd because I'm pretty sure it was like his project. It's one of those like written, produced, directed and starring Paul Rudd. Yeah. But uh I love yeah, Paul Rudd. I guess, I guess being Ant-Man is more important. Well, Ant-Man, like when they announced that Paul Rudd was playing Ant-Man, that was like people were very skeptical at that announcement because like, he's he's a comedian. Everything that he's mm-hmm. in is comedy. And yeah, uh, I mean, at the time, Edgar Wright was behind the first Ant-Man. And yeah, people were just very skeptical at his casting. And then that first Ant-Man movie ended up being phenomenal. Mm. It also that year like 2014-2015 was the turning point for the MCU films where they we already had the first Avengers and they already did the serious stuff and now they were going more lighthearted and and now you're also introducing the superheroes that nobody was familiar with. Right. People didn't I mean, know that's the Guardians of the Galaxy angle too. Yeah. That's the Yes, comic fans can go on and on about the deep, rich history and lore behind Rocket Raccoon, but to your average movie-going fan, LOL, funny little raccoon man. You know, <laughs> like it's just meant to be like a goofy, weird choice for a for a mainstream, massive AAA movie. And it worked out great for, uh, for the advertising. Yeah, because of Groot. Yeah, true. Yeah, Groot. Like it's it's like what you're seeing right now with Star Wars and Grogu. Like everyone was obsessed with Baby Groot. Uh, Yeah, I was taking those obscure characters that no one had ever heard of, and you know, putting them into the limelight. And now, uh, you know, I didn't know I didn't know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. I thought Ant Man was a joke. Yeah, and then I found out like, wow, there's a a whole this is a whole thing. And yep. it turns out and it ended up being my favorite and especially ended up becoming my favorite property out of the whole uh, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he was crucial to defeating Thanos by crawling up inside of his asshole and then turning back into full size. <laughs> Not even full size. He turns into giant man. <laughs> oh, that's that, that is the ending I wish we got. I know it's what I know it was what everyone wanted, but that is what I wish we got. Not just turning into full size, but turning into giant man. <laughs> see that call and stretch baby <laughs> <laughs> so uh there you go uh ak you uh sent this over to me and 
the previous episode of Hardly Focus that I did with Fro, we wanted to get to it and talk about it, and we didn't. Instead, we talked about Rick and Morty for like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Ohio, which is a state, by the way. Allegedly. <laughs> people tend to forget that there's a state called Ohio. Uh, it's like they've never watched the Drew Carey show. Or unless you're a fan of the band Hawthorne Heights, in which case then then you know of Ohio, but uh, Drew Carey as well. But yeah, in Ohio, there was a very serious train derailment recently that has created all but an ecological disaster. So much so the photos that are coming out of just the the aftermath where it looks like a nuclear bomb went off. And as far as I understand it, it sounds like residents of the area where the train derailment happened, which uh, a, a locale ironically called East Palestine. Hmm. Um, I guess things are safe. Like they can return home and the, they're being told there's no immediate dangers and health risks but Mm -hmm. it's still uh, it's still a really big a really big issue a really big deal and the the thing that you're hearing a lot of people say is that you're not hearing about it on the news and that people aren't talking about it Mm -hmm. but i feel like i've heard a lot about it yeah it's so that's kind of what i what i find more interesting than the train derailment itself right is now, now it is obviously a big deal. Things like this suck. They're obviously a, a, an example of, you know, the corporations push against safety regulations in order to save money. Um, they figure it's better in the long run for them to have this occasional disaster than to actually have to go update the brakes on all of their trains across the country. And, you know, it's it's good to call these things out and pay attention to them. But what I find so fascinating is the sheer amount of misinformation that came out once suddenly people started realizing and thinking this was a big deal. Right. So, like, the the event itself was over a week ago. It's only been in the past two or three days that people have suddenly started absolutely panicking about this event. And I've seen people across the political spectrum refer to it as a Chernobyl event or the deadliest ecological disaster on American soil. Zero people have died, right? I think that's one of those things people don't realize when they say things like this is Chernobyl will be uninhabitable by human life for like 50,000 years. East Palestine don't drink the water for two days until the water purification plant has had a chance to test it and you're good. (laughs) Like, and yeah, there's a lot of like scary imagery coming out of it. Like one thing that happened is the local fire department decided to do a controlled burn 
of some of the materials in one of the cars, which caused that big, ominous cloud of black smoke that you have probably seen in pictures and videos. People sharing this, you know, the Ohio wilderness, and then you just see a big follow mushroom cloud of black smoke rising up over the horizon. And that looks fucking scary, right? You see that picture and you go, oh, my God, this what the hell happened? There's something horrible going on. But that's like saying that any time a factory catches on fire, that it's a massive conspiracy and you have to evacuate the entire city, right? The, the, these things are, are things that happen regularly. They are handled with a general sense of expertise by people who are trained to handle these things. And it doesn't help to have internet sleuths come along and say, oh, the man doesn't want you to know that actually this is going to be a massive, deadly Chernobyl-level event, and if you're anywhere in the area, you will die. Are people forgetting that Three Mile Island happened? Yeah, probably. 40 years ago? I mean, yeah, people have no memory or sense of, you you know, people just don't really pay attention to things, right? So I even just saw like yesterday uh, a factory in Florida caught fire and there's this account I follow on Twitter uh, if I may plug them they're they're called centrist madness and they are very entertaining but um they frequently will retweet like incredibly un unhinged things they'll find people just saying the most bizarre insane things and just retweet them just for a laugh <laughs> and this guy found a bunch of people replying talking about this factory fire with the United States must be under attack. This can't be a coincidence. First the train derailment, now this. What's going on? What aren't they telling us? And then this guy just sort of responds with, yeah, man, America never used to have fires. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's something that I noticed is because this happened with the the. Uh, what do you want to call them? The UFOs? The things that have been, yeah. you know, the, ever since they had that Chinese spy balloon. And then it seemed like for the following two weeks, how many things were being shot out of the sky that was being reported on by the news? Yeah. And then this train derailment happens around the same time in Ohio. And since then, there have been two other large scale train derailments. Yeah. Involving that have been material. reported on in national news. <laughs> so is is it like. Obviously, these things happen uh, according mm-hmm. to the NTSB. I think it's like there's a thousand train derailments reported every year. Yeah. Is it just now because of the thing that happened in Ohio that all of a sudden we're going to care about it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, literally, yes, I, I did because I saw um, some of your notes for the show you had mentioned uh, about like asking those questions so i did make sure to look it up and total fright derailments are currently at the lowest level they've been in decades um train derailments have been happening as long as there have been trains um an interesting thing to note if i may get shamelessly partisan about it the trump administration's department of transportation revoked many safety standards because that was a big selling point of Trump and his campaign was all these big government regulations are tying the hands of big business together. I'm going to undo that. 
uh, the Biden administration has been slowly working to reinstate these safety regulations. Um, but yeah, like things like make sure you update the brakes on your trains after certain periods of time, like uh, things that seem like they'd be pretty, pretty obvious or pretty good ideas, but that, you know, one political party doesn't like and thinks is anti big business. Now, does that save any money by not running these checks and by not doing this regular maintenance? That, you know, I mean, it seems hard to believe because you'd think when something like this happens, that's going to be a massive blow, right? Because you just lost, not only did you just lose all of the product on those trains, but you, you've you also got the massive PR hit that all this bad publicity is going to cause. And yet, the fact that they keep doing it this way makes it seem like, yeah, there's got to be a financial incentive to just, yeah, occasionally we're just going to have to eat the loss of a massive fuck up. And that's preferable to just updating our safety regulations. And just deciding, too, that a small town in Ohio, again, I mean, I jest, but a you know state that is largely forgettable. Yeah. A small town is now uh, at the you know center of, again, an ecological disaster. Yeah. Who like who, who's going to. Who's going to think about it, right? Like, oh, it's right. just one small town out of, you know, however many in America. Like, there's there's plenty more to go around. Pick yeah. up and move. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. It's interesting to me because, yes, it's bad. Yes, it's good that we talk about it. Yes, it's good that we hold the people responsible accountable. But it's just been fascinating to me to watch. And th- this isn't partisan. Like, I have seen... People like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio on the right, but also like Jamal Bauman and others on the left, all tweeting the basically the exact same thing, which is the establishment doesn't want you to know that this is the worst thing that has ever happened on Earth since Chernobyl, which isn't true. Right. Like it just I get the desire to think things like that. Like it's cool and fun and hip to say the government is just full of incompetent fucking morons who don't know how to do anything right. But the lame, stupid, boring truth is they largely know what they're doing. (laughs) And when, when something like this happens and they handle the situation and contain it and have water treatment plants that are well-regulated and have standards monitored by the FDA. No, you're not going to die from being chloride poisoned after this train derailment. You're just not. That's a nonsense thing to believe. There's so there's a lot of misinformation that's been coming out about this, as you've been saying, and uh, some of the stuff that Gizmodo called out when covering all of the, the story and all the misinformation, uh, a tweet example, warning people about water contamination. However, the photo mm-hmm. that they then showed was just the Ohio river. Yeah. Yes. I saw that whole thing, the whole debacle. Yeah. Uh, and then of course you get, uh, uh your, your Marjorie Taylor greens mm-hmm. coming out and then the hooker from Colorado. <laughs> God, uh, chiming in on it. Yeah. So uh, if as far as misinformation goes, 
do you think if something like this happened in say the you know late seventies, the eighties, maybe the early nineties, pre-internet, mm-hmm. do you think it would have just been factually reported and there would have been uh, partisan alignment all across the board because you wouldn't have the the power and the influence of the internet to fuel that misinformation fire? Now it's obviously hard for me to say definitively because pre-internet is also pre-me. Uh, so I don't really, I don't know f- with any firsthand experience what life was like back then, but by all accounts, to the best of my knowledge, the internet has been a massive shot in the arm of fucking horse steroids for disinformation campaigns, right? I mean, you've always, I'm sure as, lo- as long as there have been three human beings, there have been conspiracy theories about the other two, you know? It's just it's human nature to look for meaning in random events and and try to connect the dots and believe in a powerful shadowy other that is controlling things. And, you know, my life can't just be unfortunate. It's got to be the man and all that stuff. That's always existed. And there's always been newspapers and magazines and alt weeklies and stuff like that. These groups that, you know, pass around these ideas. But I think the Internet has mainstreamed it so much that you know we are you also have to realize that a lot of the the worst offenders of these conspiracy theories they aren't on just like weird niche fringe websites like 4chan they're on facebook right so we've gone from the key demographic who falls for conspiracy theories being a guy who obsessively follows 30 magazines on the subject to just being your aunt who reads Facebook and goes, Oh, looks like they're performing the final solution to kill all of us proletariat, honey. Oh, that's nice, dear. Like, you know, you just get all these conspiracy theories right into the mainstream. So anyone can see them. Just you're you're scrolling, you're looking at baby pictures, and then next thing is a viral post. Boom. They don't want you to know that you're drinking chloride and you're going to be dead in a week. Like, it's just so prevalent and in your face and everywhere and unavoidable. Imagine if the Kennedy assassination happened in the 21st century, Mm -hmm. because that's like thinking about the, you know, the theories about multiple gunmen. Yeah. all of that, all of the conspiracy theories about that assassination. Just mm-hmm. like, what would the internet be doing if this happened in the 21st century? Well, the internet still has lots of conspiracy theories about that. <laughs> Some of these big events, uh, they last, they they withstand the test of time, right? Excuse me. The Kennedy assassination being one of them, you will still, if you go on Twitter on any given day and, and search for Kennedy assassination, I guarantee you will find people actively talking about their their wacky and hilarious theories on it. I'm I'm gonna test this right now, actually. <laughs> uh, here we go. Kennedy assassination. I don't like that. It's like one of the first things that comes up. <laughs> one of the first results. Um. 27 minutes ago, uh, American Patriot on Twitter. <laughs> do you know what happened? <laughs> do you know what happened with Nixon? 
how he was framed and outed because he knew the CIA was behind the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> See, I told you, I fucking told you. You can't keep these people down. Uh, green and gold draft. I, I saw and I could say I've seen unseen video of the Kennedy assassination. I'm not trying to pick a fight. That's just an odd claim. <laughs> James Lanning. Trust the government? Not since the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> yeah, I, and I bet the, the train derailment has brought a lot of these back out again. Because again, people will... Everything is connected. You can't trust what the government says about the water in East Palestine, Ohio being clean because Robert Kennedy was assassinated, you know, or sorry, John F. Kennedy. Oh, here's a couple of good ones. Sorry if I may interrupt you. No, Uh, go ahead. uh, A huge beach. Wow, what a clever name. Uh, Who knows the hashtag truth? We can only research and speculate. One day, quote, maybe our grandkids will know. We are only now seeing some truth about the Kennedy assassination being an inside job. We all know it was our own government, FBI, and CIA who orchestrated it. They still are. Another they tweet. still are orchestrating it. Another, uh, mm-hmm. another tweet, like, right afterwards. Um, and, of course, they're replying to Piers Morgan. Uh, Roger Stone wrote a book claiming that LBJ was behind the Kennedy assassination. Just because someone wrote this in a book doesn't make it true. <laughs> I mean, just because Robert Roger Stone wrote it doesn't make it true. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't really trust Roger Stone's on anything except tattoo ideas to not get. <laughs> uh, on the subject too of um, all that, you know the the conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. um, kind of kind of in that same vein. Maybe I, I stopped at a liquor store today, a local liquor store, mm-hmm. and had a sign on the on the front door. Something I have never seen before, especially in 2023, in the post-2020 okay. era in which we live. A sign that said, no hoods, no face masks. They don't want you in the store if you're wearing a face mask. Was this in a particularly rural area by any chance? Not really rural. Like, it's outside hmm. of city limits. But, like, I... I mean, I know that there's been like businesses out there that, you know, they, they didn't want to conform during the pandemic, right? but this is the first time I've seen in the wild, a store saying no face masks and they're not doing it because of COVID. It has nothing to do with that. It's probably just because of crime. And like, you know, if you come in wearing a hood and a face mask, they're just going to assume that you're there to rob the place. Yeah. That's interesting. I just I found it interesting seeing this on. So if I actually had a face mask on, right? Because like I was, you know, just taking precautions, and I'm wearing a face mask, or like mm-hmm. I have a cold and I don't want to spread it, but I'm also not going to hold up inside for a week. Yeah. Am I going to be kicked out of the store now? Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like a uh, political virtue signaling to me too. You know, that whole uh, only liberals wear face masks, so fuck you, no face masks allowed. Kind of. Yeah. Weird. I, I also wonder, are they talking about like, you know, the full face like ski masks or are they literally talking about, you know, a surgeon's mask? Yeah, I, I feel like there's a difference there, right? Like if someone walked in wearing just a, a mouth and nose covering as one would to prevent spread of infection, 
that seems very normal to me. Whereas if someone came in with a full, what do you call them, blocklevas, that would be less so normal to me. <laughs> so I feel like there should be a bit of a distinction there. Uh, the uh, there there's someone who was pulling into the parking lot, and they got out of their car, and they were wearing you know a medical face mask, and I almost rolled my mm-hmm. window down just to tell them, "Don't go in there; they'll <laughs> kick you out." Yep. Um, yeah. so that was that that was I found that to be a wee bit fascinating today. Yeah, that that is interesting. So what does that mean in Ohio now? You have to like w- walk around wearing like gas masks? To... No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, you can breathe the air. There's the, the the main worry to my knowledge was the drinking water because from the initial um spill a bunch of fish died. Right. But the thing is, you shouldn't be drinking water straight out of a river anyway. That's already bad for you. Right. So by the time the water gets to you, it's gone through a water purification plant. So the water is going to be safe before they let it get to you, unless you go stick your head in a river, which you just shouldn't be doing, whether there has been a train derailment near you or otherwise. Or you could go to Flint, Michigan and drink some of the water up there. Yeah, you can because it's been safe and healthy for like several years now. Safe That's and, another safe and healthy brown. No, it's Flint. Flint's water has been clean for years. And that's just another one of those things that people like bring up still is like government incompetence. Like Flint still has unclean water. No, it doesn't. Like pretty much. The year it got reported as being such so terrible, they fixed it. And now it's just a meme on the internet that, oh, the government fucked up so badly they can't fix it. No, they fucked up so badly that they let it get that bad, and then they fixed it. <laughs> now, I will uh, just admit my ignorance because I thought it was still a problem. Yeah, a lot of people think that. A lot of people spread that information. You know, it's, it's again, it's just one of those... It's it's bipartisan, uh, you know, you see it on the right, you see it on the left, is just that loving desire to just paint the government as completely incompetent. And I get that. I understand the desire to do that because they often fuck up really badly and should be called out for that and held accountable when they do that. But they do, when the problem has been identified, usually work to address it pretty quickly. So just lying and saying that the problem has gone unaddressed for like a decade at this point isn't helpful. Meanwhile, our parents are working in conjunction with the Rand Corporation and the lizard people (laughs) in a fiendish plot to eliminate the meal of dinner. We're through the looking glass here, people. (laughs) Uh, Anywho, anywho. Uh, Let's end with this. Eck. Uh, mm-hmm. Calvin and Hobbes. Ah, yes. I know you're a fan. Of course. I was, Who isn't? I was an obsessive fan with Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's not to say that I... Now, I do own every single Calvin and Hobbes comic strip ever made in a giant box mm-hmm. set, but I've never actually gone through it. And okay. from, from time to time, just based on Facebook pages that I follow, there will be a strip that comes up that I've never seen before. Yeah. It's always nice to 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 see that. Mm-hmm. almost 30 years after it ended but now 
the strip ended in 1995 and then Bill Watterson, the, the creator, the artist, then went into recluse mode and has been rarely heard from since. Yeah, the few times he's done interviews, it's been a big deal. He's done some art, too. He's done, like, cover art for uh, a book. Uh, he There's a, a strip called Pearls Before Swine. Yeah, in twenty right. In 2014, I think it's like it's an April Fool's joke. He was he was drawing panels for that strip. But mm-hmm. other than that, like, uh, Calvin and Hobbes will never come back. There will right. never be a sequel to it. But he's largely stayed out of the public eye. And it was announced this past week that uh, Bill Watterson is releasing a book called The Mysteries, mm-hmm. which he is writing. And the art, he will not be doing the art. The art will be by a guy named John Cash. Mm-hmm. But according to Polygon.com, uh, via, the, well, according to Simon & Schuster, they're the publisher, via Polygon.com, uh, it's an illustrated book. Uh, containing quote fables for grown-ups yeah that takes place in a kingdom where disasters keep happening uh so east palestine ohio <laughs> uh, the king uh, the king of the realm sends out a team of knights to investigate but only one returns years later uh yeah. and according to the book's description water waterson and cash Worked together for several years in unusually close collaboration. Both artists abandoned their past ways of working, inventing images together that neither could anticipate a mysterious process in its own right. So do you think with, with Watterson now coming back and doing his first major thing since Calvin and Hobbes ended in 1995, where, would you have expected him to get back into cartooning and do something uh, that would appeal to all ages? Or are you skeptical and apprehensive that he's doing something for adults and that it's going um, to be dark. No, I mean, I think for, first of all, I think one can do both. I think you could very easily write adult stories and young adult stories at the same time. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've always been one of those guys. I, I think it's fine when people like famous people want to be reclusive. Like I get the impulse to like want to hear from them and learn more about them. But I think it's perfectly reasonable to want privacy. Um, So, I mean, if he does this and goes straight back to like doing nothing and just minding his own business, that wouldn't surprise me. Right. Like I wouldn't necessarily expect a return to the, you know, regular projects or a regular updated comic strip or anything just because of this. Yeah. Uh, is do you, do you think his book that, that or this uh, collaboration that he's doing, do you think it's catering to fans? Say, say his fan base was like us when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, and, and say it was all kids. It was, you know, reading Calvin and Hobbes, you mm-hmm. know, for the 10 years that it was running. Do you think he's doing this to cater to his fans assuming they've all grown up now that they're all full grown adults or elderly sort of in the same vein that like the Samurai Jack final season was, yeah. was adult um, oriented. I think that's a pretty common phenomenon, right? Like um, I was Samurai Jack's a good example. I was going to say Toy Story too. you know, each each Toy Story movie kind of mirrors the emotional impact of where you are at that point of your life, assuming you were a child when the first Toy Story came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty common. You know, I think that happens a lot. The 
people are going to assume, yeah, this was for kids then, but now it's going to be for people who are adults and nostalgic for it, not new kids who never saw the original and have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was intentionally geared towards, you know, yeah, cause also, I mean, Calvin and Hobbes was kid friendly, but it was also kind of ageless, right? Like it's definitely not something that an adult would read and go, Oh, this is for babies. <laughs> you know, like it was deep. It was haunting. It was introspective. It had, uh, I remember there being comics where Calvin would go on and on for paragraphs about like the nature of being. And I, as a kid was like, fuck is he talking? Ah, it's one of those wordy comics. I don't like those ones. And as an adult, I'm like, Oh wow, that's really interesting and really deep and a uh, really insightful. Like, so I think it's something that anyone could appreciate at any age, but yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it sounds like this new series is going to definitely appeal to that demographic. Yeah, really, really insightful. I mean, this kid's six years old and he's talking about like, you know, his outlook on life and mm-hmm. everything, you know, it just it just how self-aware Calvin was as a six year old mm-hmm. at six years old. I was having trouble wiping my own ass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, it's just the way that. Everything was framed. I think about this frequently, reading mm-hmm. Calvin and Hobbes now as an adult. The way everything is framed, just the universe that Calvin lives in with Hobbes, mm-hmm. with his stuffed tiger. And then Calvin's parents, all they see is their rambunctious six-year-old playing with a stuffed tiger. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's deep. If you really yeah. think about it, like Watterson really... Like, you, you, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's really deep to think about just the perspective of it. Yeah. Uh, d- have you ever read Hobbes and Bacon? No, it doesn't sound familiar. It's a fan made sequel series to Calvin and Hobbes where Calvin now is an adult mm-hmm. and he married Susie and they had a daughter named Bacon. Okay. That they named after Francis Bacon. Okay. And he gives Hobbes to his daughter, and now it's like uh, their adventures together. Except okay. Calvin can still see Hobbes as the anthropomorphic speaking tiger. Right. So now it's 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 not like how Calvin's parents are just like, oh, Calvin, stop fucking around with your stuffed tiger. It's yeah. now Calvin is in on everything that Bacon is doing with Hobbes. Right. And it's, you know, there's so much unauthorized, uh, you know, merch and media surrounding Calvin and Hobbes. But I thought that was like, I treated that as being, you know, an official thing. Right. I treated that as being real. And it wasn't around for very long, but it, it was one of those, like, you know, one can only imagine what, you know, it, you know, the, the, the future would have been like, what yeah. would it be like if, and, and of course, like adult Calvin is now like, you know, he's an upstanding member of society. You know, he's completely, he's not, he's not a maniac. Right. He didn't grow up to like shoot up his school or anything. <laughs> but you can see the child, you know, his inner child come out. Yeah. In conversing with Hobbes. So check it out. Yeah. It's called Hobbes and Bacon. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, did you have a particular uh, strip or arc 
from Calvin and Hobbes that you loved that you were just like that was you're just like your top favorite? You know, it's hard for me to really remember anything specific since it has been many years. L- like you, I, so I never really had like a box set, but I had probably 10 to 12 compilation books. And I feel like a lot of them had overlap um, in which comics were in them. But I, and as a kid, I, I, I definitely read through them. Not just as a kid, probably kid through college would go back and read through all of them like every two years or so. Um, but you know, college was now 10 years ago for me. So, uh, don't remind me. It's been a while. Um, but I mean, I just sort of remember certain tropes that I really enjoyed. Like the fact that there was a wet noodle incident that is never elaborated upon, (laughs) but every time it's referenced, Calvin becomes extremely nervous (laughs) about, about the truth of the wet noodle incident coming out. (laughs) That's sort of an iconic moment to me. I also love how Calvin Ball sort of became like the default trope name for just sort of making shit up as you go along. The the rules don't matter because I can just change them at a moment's notice to suit my whims. That's peak Calvin Ball. Oh, you never play the same way twice. Yeah. (laughs) Once you enact a rule, you cannot you cannot do it again. Yep. So Watterson obviously knew he was going to be ending the strip. So there were things that he did that. Um sort of you know tying up loose ends if you will Mm -hmm. and an arc that i enjoyed i mean an ongoing arc throughout the entire series was calvin versus the babysitter yeah rosalind and then in the final rosalind arc uh calvin begs her to stay up late so they can play calvin ball Mm -hmm. and she and he she's introduced to calvin ball and she loves it and can remember that yeah calvin's parents come home and they're like the, the cops weren't called <laughs> you're not demanding extra money because calvin was a shit and rosalind's like no we played a game and he went to bed and i mm. liked it because it was closure it was finally they found some common ground yeah and that i honestly now that i think about it i think that might have been like the only sort of loose end that was tied up like calvin never got any better at math right <laughs> you know he never kicked the shit out of mo <laughs> <laughs> mo never learned how to speak full sentences that's, that's the other thing I love that Watterson did is Mo's like typeface was just crude lowercase yeah. letters. Yep. <laughs> and like you could just it, it's like it's it's text you can hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very clever way of doing it. Uh, I also loved just how insightful and intelligent Calvin was. But when it came to math, yeah, he was a fucking moron. I mean, I don't know if this would have been like understood or widely acknowledged at the time the comics were coming out but calvin seemed like a pretty to me a pretty obvious case of someone with adhd right he's clearly deeply intelligent he's got wildly huge ideas it's just that they manifest in completely bizarre and uncontrollable ways and not in like the ability to sit down and take a test at school Uh, on that note there's an arc where he's he's actually like prepares for a math test Mm-hmm. And then he bets Susie like 25 cents that he'll get a better grade than her on the test. Mm-hmm. And then uh test is handed out, takes a look at it. And like the first problem is like six plus five. And he stares at it for about 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden now we have a spaceman spiff arc. Yeah. <laughs> just... Yeah, exactly. Things like that. I Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it ends with him panicking because he didn't 
actually answer anything on the test. He ran yeah. out of time. Yep. And then there's a really depressing comic that someone made. I don't know if you ever saw it, but like the first panel of it is uh, Calvin telling Hobbes, he's like, hey, you know, those, the medication that my parents put me on really seems to be helping. Yeah, I've seen that one. And Hobbes is like, you want to go outside and play? And Calvin's like, not now. I got homework to do. And then the final panel is just stuffed Hobbes sitting next to Calvin. Yep. Like, yep. come on, man. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> As I ruin it for everybody else. Yep. So anyway, I'm happy. I'm happy that like Waterson's got to now be like in his seventies. He's got to yeah, be old. That's true. And the fact that he's he's coming out and he he wants to do something new. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Like when I was talking earlier about you know letting people be recluses, that's more like you know if they want to be, they should be allowed to. I still think it's really cool and great when a creative mind like that decides. You know what? I've got a new idea. I'm going to do it. You know, I, I, I love that. And I'm really excited to see that. Uh, the guy who did the far side, I wouldn't really call him a recluse, but like, you know, he ended the far side uh, decades ago. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple of years ago, started posting new strips to his website. And he's just like, mm, just wanted to start doing comics again. Yeah. I don't know if he's yeah. still doing it, but he just, uh Yeah. It's like, hey, I didn't, I didn't want to sit on this forever. Yeah. Although, like, I do respect Watterson also, too, for saying, like, with Calvin and Hobbes, he's like, I took it as far as I could take it. Yeah. I I would be surprised if we ever saw, like, a more official Calvin and Hobbes strips or, like, a sequel set 30 years later or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> likely. Um, but I think it would be very cool if he started doing other new projects. Yeah. There's uh this guy Berkeley Breathed who did uh some, oh yeah he Bloom did some County? Like, what's that is he Bloom County he is yeah and he was doing some like Calvin and Hobbes arc a couple years ago but it, I I think it was unofficial I don't think Bill Watterson had any input on that right and it was about ultimately about an adult spaceman Spiff traveling throughout space to retrieve Hobbes. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I I highly doubt Bill Watterson had any approval, any insight, any sign off on that. Unless he right. like allowed. Yeah, you can do this. I highly doubt that either because Bill Watterson refused to merchandise anything. Yeah, but he also. I mean, I, I again, I don't really know what his contracts were. If maybe the newspapers or publishers owned everything, but like, I would imagine if he wanted to, he could be litigious. Right. Like you are using my intellectual property. I am going to sue you into the poorhouse. Right. And he's never done that. No, he, he's always been very hands off. Like, look, I'm not going to do anything. If you want to do something, fucking go for it, I guess. Whatever. Something that always interested me was I now I had I think it was the 10th anniversary book of Calvin and Hobbes. And it's got like it's it's all by Watterson. It's all just like, you know, sort of like behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And something that he was very outspoken about was the Sunday, uh, the Sunday strip format. Okay. Where, you know, in the Sunday papers, uh, instead of having, you know, three or four panels, you can have like nine, you know? Right. Yeah. And he was like vehemently against that. He didn't huh. want that at all. And right. you can see in early strips, maybe for the first few years that the first, cause like what would happen is like the Sunday's, the Sunday comics, I think, at the time, at minimum, were six panels. 
Mm-hmm. But the artists were told do like nine panels and the you know the the paper carrying it might cut out the first three. Okay. So don't have the first three be of any relevance to the strip because it might get cut out and then your your whole strip's not going to make any sense. Right. So what uh, incredibly stupid. Yeah, what Watterson would do would be like the first two panels would just be one big one that would be the Calvin and Hobbes logo. Yeah, and, I remember that. And the first like and then within that would be maybe like, you know, someone doing something and then the next panel and they would be sort of throwaway lines that do tie into yeah. the whole panel, but you can then remove them. And then the following six panels would be the whole strip and you can make that edit and the, you know, the rest of it would be unchanged. And Waterson That's really interesting. I remember that so vividly how that was done. I never knew that was like done for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Waterson was like, fuck this. I don't like doing this. And he like refused to produce any more Sunday strips unless they catered to his until he buckled to his demands and he was able to get like full control over that and he no longer had to uh, adhere to that that restriction but other but in doing that those like newspapers started dropping the the strip and Mm -hmm. other cartoonists didn't want to work with him they didn't like the fact that he he got special treatment while they had to uh, you know adhere to that format yeah, that's interesting. But he just, I mean, he had the most popular strip, too. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, but there you go. That's that's uh, some of my useless trivia for you. I, I'm, I'm glad I learned that. That is really fascinating. Well, welcome back, Bill Watterson. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back from the hole from where you crawled into. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that uh, Calvin's father, too, is a character of Bill Watterson? Like him as himself, yeah, huh? Cool. Yeah, he he designed uh, Calvin's father. It's basically just him. If you ever want to know what Watterson looks like, it's just Calvin's father. Okay, I can see that. Yep. I mean, as in, um, the Garfield creator basically said he's John Arbuckle. Yeah, yeah. Even so much that Arbuckle was a early on in in Garfield was a cartoonist. It yeah, was, it was mentioned very very prominently in the first few years that. Uh, Garfield is around, and then they just drop that entirely. Yeah. What I don't like about Garfield is uh, Mondays and then normal. <laughs> Lasagna is okay, but yeah. that everything Lasagna ages. Everything ages in real time. So Garfield's got to be forty-five now. Because <laughs> he's actually Garfield the ninth. Another thing that, that I, I I consider jumping the shark. John ended up with Liz, the vet. Really? And it was a running joke for so long that like he, she was rejecting all of his advances. Mm-hmm. And then something happened and now they're together and they've been together. And that's a moment yeah. where I'm like, I you know what? I'm done I'm done with Garfield and his hijinks. You've had you've given me the I've given you the best fifteen years of my life, but I'm done now. As far as I'm I- a wizard of his man now. <laughs> I'm a Heathcliff man now. Thank you very much. Give me a pie on the windowsill any day. Oh, wait, that's Marmaduke. <laughs> uh, uh, well, Garfield now, uh, every day feels like Monday. <laughs> Get it? Because he like, doesn't like Mondays. Yeah. And that's, yeah, a, and that's yeah, a song that yeah. Morrissey wrote. And Morrissey sucks. 
There is an asshole that never shuts up. (laughs) (laughs) I can't claim credit for that joke. I just read it a couple days ago on an article about him. I like it, though. Thank you. All right, Ak, let's call it at that. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you for spending your Friday Eve with me. Of course. What what am I going to do? Go somewhere? Do some things? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn the music bed down because I'm playing the wrong music bed. Oh, okay. I suck. I fail at everything. Yeah. Oh, I found it. Here we go. <laughs> it's a good thing I can edit this, right? No, you know what? I'm just going to leave it in. Cut, cut that. Cut that. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave it in. I, I, I edit out far too much of these days. I'm going to leave in my mistake. Uh, All right. Well, uh, thank you, Ak, for being here. Thank you for spending your Friday. for having me. I understand you have nowhere to go, and uh, neither yeah. do I. And uh, for the rest of you, thank you for listening. We will talk at you next time. See you. Bye. Goodbye. Amortization may not have happened.